Hey guys, welcome back to the Curriculum Podcast. We are on book three of the Cultivate Curriculum, and we are going to talk about week seven. And so we have CJ here to talk to us about this week's passage in Romans. So CJ, where are we in this book this week? Um, So I think our our last study was on Romans 8, and we're jumping a couple of chapters, though there's a bit of it included in the like pre-group work. Um, So Paul finishes Romans 8 with his kind of great declaration about the promises of God and how they will never fail us. He goes into that famous um, kind of litany of, you know, nothing can take your, your faith away, not this, nor that, nor that, nor that. And so Paul at the end of Romans 8 is... Um, bringing up a question that he knows that uh, at least a large portion of his readers will be asking, which is that if God's promises never fail, then what about Israel? And so Romans 9 through 11, which is kind of a large chunk of of Romans, its own kind of miniature Mm -hmm. section here, is really devoted to answering that question about what is the relationship of God's promises to Israel? What is the relationship of the church to Israel? What... um, what has God's plan been for Israel from the very beginning? And how has the the murder of the Christ, the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, how is that not a breaking of promises between God and Israel, but rather a kind of fulfilling of promises between God and Israel, um, such that God's promises haven't actually failed? We're going to focus on Romans 11, the, the tail end of that section of Romans 9 through 11, which really talks about kind of the end of history, um, the end of the whole story of God. So if Romans 9 is a bit about the past, kind of the Old Testament story, Romans 10 is about the the present for Paul, um, the story of of Christ and how he intersects with um, the people of Israel. Then Romans 11 is kind of about the future and how the, the history of salvation will play itself out in the future. But it also gives us, I think, as the church, some really good, um, ideas for understanding who we are, what we're meant to be doing, our relationship with Israel, and then also some just really practical things about what it means to cultivate. He uses this uh, image of the engrafted branches um, in the end of Romans 11. And I thought that would be a great passage to kind of key in on in our cultivate. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, So we've been talking about this timeline um, from week to week of, it kind of just like shows the roadmap of Romans that we can kind of know where we are in the book as we talk about the passages each week. And so it started off with human sin, moved into the answer to sin, the plan for salvation, and then leads into new life. So where are we in this timeline? Yeah. So the, this week's of, this week of curriculum is meant to cover um, all of the, the plan section. Uh, Now, during the actual group, you'll only focus on kind of the end of the plan. But Mm -hmm. as Paul has outlined the problem of human sin, the answer of human sin, now he's going to go ahead and zoom out even further to talk about how that problem and that solution have been the the plan the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he's giving really a kind of theological history of the entire world. Uh, It's also a way of us kind of being able to read the Old Testament well. Um, so yeah, we're, we're covering the whole of the plan section during, during this week. And then after this, after he's kind of explained in Romans what the plan has been from the very beginning, he then tells us, well, this is what that means for you. And we'll start discussing that next week in the kind of new life section. So what does that mean for us, the church? Okay, so this might be a weighted question, but like you mentioned, we, we skipped a couple chapters. And I know that you included a supplementary kind of um, packet in the leader's guide that mm-hmm. might help us in um, understanding those couple chapters that we skipped. So can you just like tell us a little bit about that and like what our focusing group is and how we can seek to understand those 
um, couple chapters outside of group? Sure. The uh, section of Romans 9 through 11 is actually one of the most controversial sections of scripture in the whole of the Bible, at least in the Protestant tradition. Um, probably the biggest division in Protestantism in terms of theology. So not just like which church you go to, but like mm-hmm. what you're kind of understanding of how God operates. That biggest division is probably most rooted in these three chapters. Um, And so there's a really good chance that if your students do the pre-reading, because we talk, I have them read a a few um, verses from from Romans 9, which is kind of the center of the focus of this division. There might be some questions that come up about this division. Um, It's the division between kind of Calvinism and Arminianism, or just, you know, the Calvinists and Mm -hmm or not Calvinists, however you want to like label yourself, just about God's work in personal salvation and what that looks like. That was never meant to be like the focus of this week mm-hmm. um, as I set out to write it. I mean, it's really easy to take a, a group and spend it all um, arguing <laughs> about um, Calvinism. It's a, and it, it might happen in your group, but I don't think that should be the the focus. But if it does become something you're worried will come up in group or is something that you think um, you want to learn a little bit more about as you read Romans 9, uh, then yeah, in that leader's guide, I've I've kind of given some extra resources for interpreting Romans 9 in a way that um, I think is more faithful to the text. Uh, It does take a side on on that debate, (laughs) um, which I'm not terribly interested in getting into here on the podcast. But I do think it is something that is worth taking a look at as a leader, just so you can be prepared for some of the questions. Now, in the pre-reading for the week, I didn't have them cover kind of the really controversial section of Romans 9. I mostly had them read the first few verses of Romans 9, where Paul introduces the problem of whether God's promises have failed and assures us that those promises haven't failed. And then kind of the very end of Romans 9 and some of uh, Romans 10, all of this again, with the idea of bringing to the forefront the question of the relationship between God and Israel and Israel and the church, which is going to be hammered out in Romans 11 in in the group. Perfect. So we want to seek better understanding, but we don't want to just focus our whole groups on that debate is what you're saying. I mean, ideally, sure. But if this is something that comes up and needs addressing, it's I don't think it's ever like a great mm-hmm. strategy when students show like a, a genuine thirst to understand or to know yeah. or have a real discussion to just be like, no, we can't talk about that. Um, <laughs> that's probably not the most conducive way to run um, a good group. But there is, I mean, just the nature of this debate, there's always the danger that this just becomes a, a large argument where people aren't actually that interested in trying to figure out what the real answer is, but just want to get in the kind of heated theological discussion. Um, and I don't think that is also conducive to a good group. So, you know, um, use your wisdom as a, mm-hmm. as a Discernment. leader. Discernment. Yeah, as a leader <laughs> to figure out what, uh, what you need to be doing, how you need to be navigating. Yeah. That. That, uh, that discussion, which means that you as a leader probably also need to be prepared to have that discussion. Um, and so if you want to read Romans 9 and try and figure out uh, what it says, I've given you some resources telling you what I think um, the majority of the Christian tradition has mm-hmm. uh, told us that those verses mean. But yeah, it's there if you need it um, or not if you don't. Great. So let's just start to unpack Romans 11 as I is the focus for this week. And you already mentioned it, but Paul uses this agrarian imagery in this chapter um, that might just keep us from having a full understanding of what he's talking about. So 9 through 11 in Romans has often been a very difficult set of chapters um, for interpretation. And some of that in this case for um, chapter 11 could be due to this agrarian metaphor that we just may not fully understand. So could you help 
unpack that a little bit, the imagery that he's giving us through grafting? Sure. Grafting is a, a process by which you take an existing plant and you chop off some of its branches. And then you take branches from a different tree and then you kind of, you, you basically tape them on. So you put like this little like waxy stuff on the end of it. You <laughs> stick it on the part of the branch that you cut off. You can wrap it in some tape. And then eventually what you're going to have is a, a tree that grows a fruit that is different from the kind of fruit that it natively grows. So uh, the trees have to be somewhat related and like real grafting here. So uh, I think pears and apples work. So you can take an apple tree, chop off a branch, go get a branch from a pear tree, tape it on, and then you have a tree that makes both pears and apples. So the branch that came from the pear tree will make pears, and then the rest of the native tree will make apples, and then... You've got a sweet tree that makes more than one thing. And there's some like really wild grafting <laughs> projects out there, like, you know, the tree of 30 fruit or whatever. Um, so it's a, it's a really strange thing that I would have never thought was real or could work, but yeah. um, it does. Um, and so Paul uses that imagery to talk about our relationship with Israel, which I think you're right. It, when we don't understand um, or we don't have like an understanding what the, the metaphor uh, means it might lead us to some kind of bad conclusions about how we understand ourselves as the church. Um, and there's a lot of bad forms that this can take. Uh, I think one of the most notoriously bad things that has happened in Christian history has been just kind of a very long history of anti-Semitism, where Christians have over the centuries, even in very, very, very recent history in certain parts of the world, um, just horribly persecuted Jews, kicking them out of the country, putting them to death. Um, and they do this for all sorts of reasons. But I think when we, um, when we engage in that kind of behavior, uh, we're actually forgetting the very Jewish nature of our faith. Mm -hmm. And when Paul uses this metaphor of grafting, he's basically saying that the trunk of the tree is Jewish and that whatever, if we as Gentiles, non-Jews, um, if we are incorporated into the promises of God, it's the promises of God that flow from Israel. They're Israel's promises that we now participate in and partake of. Um, and so for us to kind of believe that the church has um, completely replaced Israel in the sense that um, the people of God, the Old Testament people of God are, are irrelevant. The, the story of how God re uh, related to his people in the Old Testament is irrelevant to us. Um, then I think we've we've really missed what Paul's trying to tell us, um, and so I actually think that this this metaphor uh, helps us understand really well what the Old Testament means for us um, as as Christians. Um, that we are actually incorporated into that story of um, how God related to His people in the Old Testament, and that the church is really the kind of full blossoming of those promises. It's not that God cut down the plant completely and then planted a new plant. Um, rather, the, the branches, or in this case, the Jews who did not accept Christ as the Messiah, uh, they more or less, because of their own belief, um, removed themselves from the promises of God. They were, they were cut off um, in the moment that they, that they crucified Christ. Um, and God didn't start a new tree. What he did is he took the non-Jewish people of God and he incorporated them into that tree. And so for us to really understand our identity as Christians, um, it actually might be really helpful for us to understand God's relationship with Israel and now know that all the promises he made to Abraham and Moses, and David, about being the people of God now uh, apply to us because we are engrafted into mm -hmm. Israel, not just because he cut Israel down and all the Jews are Christians' enemies and this holy new thing started. Um, 
No, that's one continuous story. Um, and so I think the metaphor is pretty cool, the analogy of um, tree grafting. Yeah, so sometimes we hear people say that the Old Testament just doesn't really mean anything to us now. We should be reading the New Testament and seeking that. But you're saying that Paul is kind of insinuating otherwise. Yeah, I think so. I mean, when he says um, in Romans 11 that um, when he's talking about the root, so when we hear the word like root, uh, we think of the part of the tree that's under the ground uh, that is mm-hmm. kind of soaking up all the nutrients and stuff. And that that is what it means. But when you're talking in grafting language, the root is actually just the part of the tree that didn't get cut off. So like when you take a branch and you cut it off, the part that is no longer attached to the tree, it's just discarded. It's a cut off branch. But that that part of the tree, the first little half of the branch or whatever that you're going to put the new branch on, that that's called the root. Mm-hmm. Um and that's still there, right? And so I think in our analogy here, and this might actually be a really good exercise for you to go through with your group is like, what do each, what is each piece of this analogy? What does it correspond to? It's like, mm-hmm. what is the root? What is the grafted branch? What is, what would be the trunk? What would be the actual roots under the ground? I mean, this is kind of a creative exercise, but I think the result of this exercise is to say that um, the, the relationship of God, the promises of God, the story of God and his relationship in the Old Testament is now our story. So far be it from us to ignore the Old Testament or think that somehow the Old Testament is about God relating to um, something different than us. Uh, I think misses the continuity that we are supposed to have as the church of Gentiles and Jews, um, the continuity between us as a um, I don't know, institution body uh, group and the continuity of that with the Old Testament people of God, um, Israel, because we now just kind of are... Israel, uh, in a new, in a, in a significant sense. And Paul, he, he tells us that at the beginning of, of Romans nine, right? There's, there's a sense in which you can think that, um, Israel, especially in the old Testament, just meant ethnic Israel, like mm-hmm. people who were genetically Jewish. Uh, and Paul says that that's actually not really the case that the promises of God to Israel, is there an ethnic component? Sure. Because they're descendants of Abraham, the person who originally was given that promise. But we also see in um, the Old Testament that um, the the benefits of faith and the benefits of that relationship uh, with God were not exclusively ethnic. Even in the Old Testament, they're not exclusively ethnic. So you have people who are non-Jews who are very clearly in right relationship with God. And you have people who are Jews who are clearly not in relationship mm-hmm. with God. And even from the very beginning with Abraham, there's the promise that um, his children, and he'll be a blessing to all the nations. Um, and so I think Paul in Romans 9 through 11 is really just trying to bring that element out for us so that we don't get overly focused into thinking that the church is just like a hard reset for God, um, but rather the church and Christ are the fulfillment of everything that we see happening in the Old Testament. Um, yeah. Great. So now that we kind of understand this metaphor, um, what does it practically mean for us in the church? Um, so like even in here, Paul says in verse 18, that like in response to the Gentiles being a part of this grafted tree, he says, do not brag about being grafted. Um, so like, what does this practically mean as like, as like being in the church versus looking at other people as being out of the church? Yeah, I think that, you know, there might not be some like overt um, things that you think might apply to your, to your daily life, but I think there are some pretty heavy implications. You're that one being one, which is that, um, we're told here, if we're using this tree as, a, as the analogy, which, which Paul uses here, then we need to be thinking about terms of growth, right? Um, what does it mean to grow well? And when something didn't grow and it was cut 
cut off. Um, that also tells us something about growth, right? When Christ curses the fig tree in the gospels, that like really weird uh, <laughs> thing that he does. You're like, why is he so concerned about this tree? I think it's because that tree is like, it's an image mm-hmm. that Paul brings back up here, right? When you stop bearing fruit, when you stop growing rightly, um, when your relationship with God is not um, what it should be, then it produces death, right? And so for us, maybe the practical points here are, what actually leads to um, fruit blossoming and the flourishing mm-hmm. um, and what leads to um, the death and the being cut off. And so you can look at uh, both groups, right? Um, you can look at those who were cut off, uh, the branches that were cut off. What was part of what made them cut off? And I think it's part of what Paul's encouraging us not to do here. It was the arrogant, the prideful, the kind of pharisaical spirit mm-hmm. that we are better than you because we are holier than you because we do X, Y, and Z, whatever. Um, there was this real kind of exclusivity, like you're out and I'm in. And uh, because of that, I'm better than you. There's a deep pride in that that was, I think, especially uh, a feature of kind of pharisaical Judaism. Um, And Paul's trying to tell us that that is something that does not produce the fruit of the spirit, but that's something that produces death. So I think, you know, for me, taking the imagery of growth here and taking what Paul has to say about it, about do not boast over those other branches, um, that there are things that are especially deadly to the Christian's life, both individually, but also collectively, right? Because he's also not just talking about individual Christians. He's telling the entirety of the the Gentile Christian um, block of believers, saying you as Gentiles, now that you've come in, right? Don't actually think that you're way better than these Jews, which makes it even more ironic that Christians have this like deep history of anti-Semitism because <laughs> they're just like not doing this. Yeah. It's like, ooh, we're better than you. So we're going to kill you or kick you out or whatever it is. Um, but both individually and collectively, this idea of pride um, or this kind of, feeling like you can boast about um, the merits of you being, um, you know, chosen or whatever it is, um, that those are especially deadful or deadly. So I think um, the really harmful effects of, of pride and boasting are part of this. I mean, I think Paul is trying to tell us that to cultivate humility um, is a really important aspect of living well. But then also he tells us, you know, what specifically cut off those branches. Mm-hmm. And he tells us up here, it's, it's disbelief, it's unbelief. And here, I don't think, um, and so he's talking about disbelief and, and obedience, right? So he was, uh, the, the Jews weren't actually obeying in the way that they needed to obey, right? They were kind of going through the formal motions, um, but their hearts weren't right. Um, and at the end of the day, when it came time for their God to proclaim the good news to them, they killed him, right? And I think Paul's warning us against doing functionally the same thing, Um so cultivating, yeah, humility and then cultivating obedience. That's what it means to really grow your relationship with God is to listen to him and to obey him and to love him, which is obedience, uh, not, to, <laughs> not, not, not to crucify him, not to re-crucify mm-hmm. him every day, um, which is a very difficult task to do, yeah. um, but it's something we should aspire to and something that when we do, in fact, do it should lead to repentance. You know, even in Romans 11 here, there's this great like, olive branch of hope that's extended to even those aspects of Israel that cut themselves off. Um, that if they don't persist in their unbelief, they'll, they'll be re-engrafted. Um, so I think there's a lot of these little themes, obedience, repentance and restoration, cultivating humility. Um, and then I think not just, again, not just applying that individually, but applying that corporately as well. So asking yourself as a church, as a body, as a community, are we um, considering ourselves better than other people, other groups? And maybe you wouldn't say that consciously, but I think subconsciously the way we behave, you can kind of take a, um, 
take an inventory of your practices in your life. Are there groups that you just don't reach out to? Mm-hmm. And maybe you wouldn't say it's because I don't like them or I think I'm better than them or whatever it is, but your actual, your actions might actually say otherwise. Um, so working out pride, working out disobedience, and working out disbelief in, um, in your community, I think are all really, um, really practical ways of learning how to grow uh, in, um, in, uh, as, this, as, this tree, as this tree and grow, grow in relationship with God. Yeah, and I think this idea of inclusivity has been a continuing theme as we keep coming back to this podcast because one of the big reasons that Paul wrote the book of Romans for unity within the Roman church. And so we keep hitting this um, theme of inclusivity, of bringing people in to resist our pride against or prejudices against certain groups of people. And so that's something that we want to continually encourage groups being thoughtful about. Um, like who are the people on campus and um, even outside of campus that we aren't inclined to share this light with. Yeah, I think so. And I think actually Paul, he, he also charts a kind of middle course here as well. Cause there, there are versions of like fluffy inclusivity that are like, you know, <laughs> you don't have to change anything about yourself mm-hmm. and we'll, you know, stay exactly as you are. Um, and Paul tells us here, like, no, no, no. The reason that some people are cut off is because they actually have real things they need to overcome in their life, mm-hmm. right? Um, so when we are talking about like inclusivity and exclusivity, Paul is saying like, unfortunately, there are some people that are really out. But it's mm-hmm. these people who don't, um, they don't believe and they don't obey and they don't actually love God. Um, and so uh, this is an inclu- I mean, Romans, Romans 9, 10, and 11, I think is like the most inclusive of chapters, maybe in all of Romans, because what he's saying is like, listen, the, the whole arc of salvation history is that the Jews have been cut off so that the Gentiles can be incorporated. And that through the Gentiles being incorporated, the Jews will become jealous and then they'll be reincorporated, which is a really like, it's a weird plan. Sure. And I like <laughs> Paul at the end of the day is like, wow, your plan is way more mysterious than I'm ever going to comprehend, which is kind of how he finishes off with this doxology. But you'll notice through that plan that what the end result is, is that everyone's included, right? Mm-hmm. Jew and Gentile. And the mechanism of how we get there is weird and wacky, but everyone is included. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this isn't just some fuzzy kind of inclusivity where um, everyone's uh, coming to be exactly as they are. It's where everyone's invited and everyone's welcome, um, provided that they actually do submit to the Lordship of Christ. So if by inclusivity, yeah, you know, we mean um, mm-hmm. that the 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 gospel is not ethnically um, targeted. Of course, that's mm-hmm. literally the entire point of Romans yeah. 9 through 11. It is not like an ethnic religion. Uh, it is a religion for all ethnicities, um, for all groups, no matter what. Um, it is an offer to every person of any stripe, of any you know flavor, whatever it is. Um, it's an offer um, to everyone, um, but provided that they, they in fact submit to the, the Lordship of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think Paul kind of gives you the, the great both and here, the challenge of, yeah, there is some kind of deep uniformity that must hold a tree together which is the kind of cohesion of belief in Christ. Um, But that tree is going to look really wonky when it's bearing like pears and apples. And I don't know, what are some other things? Grapes, bananas. Those grow on vines, but I mean, well, that makes sense. I guess. I don't know. I don't know if you can graft grapes onto a tree, but maybe, I don't know. But yeah, (laughs) we're going to have a wonky looking tree, right? But the tree is going to be extremely diverse, which is going to be cool, but it's also going to be extremely unified in that Mm -hmm. it is one plant, one tree. And so I actually think this, the gospel 
is this really cool thing, which um, gives you the best of both worlds in terms of diversity and unity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, too many times we always, or we end up having to choose. It's like diversity for diversity's sake, unity for unity's sake. But each of those actually think can end up being um, harmful to the other the other aspect. But I think Paul here actually charts the middle course that you can get yeah. both, you know, through the gospel. Yeah, for sure. And you are mentioning, just as you're talking, you're talking about the salvation to all. So yep. God is extending this invitation to everyone. And I think that's a huge thing that we should talk about um, when looking at Romans 11 and even thinking about Romans 9 through 11. So can you just help us unpack this full story of scripture that Paul is kind of pointing to here. Yeah. The full story of scripture, you'd have to go read all of nine through 11 because that is, he's re recapping the entire story of scripture from the very beginning of verses nine. He charts how God has worked through the old Testament, um, how God has used not only the obedience of some, but even the disobedience of others into it. He's incorporated that into his plan. And this is because disobedience is, God doesn't only use obedience to achieve his purposes, but he uses disobedience to achieve his purposes. And he, he finishes off Romans 11 by making that kind of sweeping claim that actually all have become disobedient for the sake of him showing mercy on all. Um, so really not Romans 9 through 11, I think when read best is not actually a grand um, thesis of how every individual person goes to heaven or whatever, um, but is actually Paul recapping the way in which God uses and even orchestrates the ebbs and flows of history, bending all of history toward the fact that um, he's going to show mercy on all, um, on all who would have it. Um, that that's kind of the the fundamental vision. Um, and so I think this also, you know, as, as alluded to earlier, if you if you get Romans nine through eleven, I think it also helps you you read the Old Testament because now if you read Romans nine and understand like here's what God's working toward then as you go and reread the beginning of the story, you get to see how each of those little aspects of the story are building toward the conclusion. Um, and this is this is the case with like a, a lot of great literature. This is why a lot of great literature actually spoils the ending before the beginning ever starts. <laughs> so if you, ever read, if you read or watch Romeo and Juliet, uh, Shakespeare actually tells you from the very opening lines that everyone's gonna die. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler, it's not a spoiler. He, you can't spoil it. He puts it in the beginning. Uh, they all die. Um, but this changes how you actually read the story. Um, mm-hmm. Now the anticipation comes from seeing how every little event is going to lead to the conclusion that we know is going to mm-hmm. end up occurring. Um, and so I think when we start to see how the whole plan works, it allows us to engage well with the Old Testament by understanding how each, or maybe starting to see how each of those little pieces of the, the story of the Old Testament are building toward this great declaration in Romans eleven thirty-two. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it also allows us to see because we, the church are engrafted into the story of Israel. Maybe as you read the old Testament now and you see how God is interacting with Israel, you can see the hints of how that, that shows how he wants to interact with us. Mm -hmm. Um, That God's promises to his people are still the heart of his promises to us as the church. Um, And that when Israel breaks his heart, that the church breaks his heart too. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we individually break his heart too, but the kind of the restoration that happens there, the continued promises, the faithfulness, all of that is still very true of us. Um, And so maybe, you know, maybe this would help, uh, (laughs) help us read the old Testament um, a little better, uh, both by seeing the plan and by maybe being, being able to see ourselves Mm -hmm. in, in Israel. Yeah. And just like seeing this all as like a continuing story, like not Old Testament that ended, New Testament, 
that ended and now we are here today. Um, right. Just seeing this whole story of um, the world as a continuing plan of God. Yep, that would that would be the thesis of Romans 9 through 11, Perfect. is that this is all going according to plan. The great promises of Romans 8 at the end are still true today. God's word has not failed. His promises to Israel have not failed. Um, what we see in Jesus and in the church is the fulfillment of that plan. Um, but even yet, not the completion of the plan. We we won't see the completion of the plan until um, the second coming, until until the future. And what is the completion of the plan going to look like? Well, Paul, he tells us there at the end of Romans 11. Um, Israel, in some sense, will come back to the Lord. Um, the Gentiles, as a, as a people, we will belong to the Lord. That doesn't mean like every individual person is going to be saved. But it does mean, I think, in some like cosmic sense, God is going to reconcile the entire world to himself. Um, and so we are awaiting that to happen. Great. So do you have any like final thoughts or anything before we finish up that you really want to make sure that our students hear before they go into group this week? Um, not a lot. I think this is just, it's a difficult section. Romans 9 through 11 is a difficult section. It might end up focusing a little bit more on just trying to understand what he's saying. And it might not always feel the easiest to come out with some like, here's the one practical application, but it's okay to do that. And I think Paul took a second to step back and try and unfold the history of salvation for us for a reason. And I think maybe the the measure to which we understand that maybe we can also be um, drawn into doing the same thing Paul did at the very end of Romans 11, which is to um, worship God and find ourselves in awe of the the plan that is so crazy that we could have never thought it up, but in fact is a plan that is um, uh, thoroughly good news for the whole world. Now, this is like, has always just been a difficult set of passages, like I said earlier, but I'm just leaving here thinking that it's just so beautiful, just the way you're yeah. talking about it. I think I think that's right. You know, if, I think that's the right response. If you come away from like Romans 9 through 11, be like, I got it. Mm-hmm. I, I understand every little aspect. Yeah, I think that's probably not it. Um, I don't think I understand every little bit, but I think if you walk away from Romans 9 through 11, thinking this is a beautiful story, mm-hmm. then you've got it. I think that's what Paul's trying to show. And that's why he ends up with that doxology before Romans 12. It is a beautiful story. And I think that would be a great place to end. Perfect. Well, CJ, thank you so much for helping us this week. Um, Thank you all for listening. And we'll be back next week with week eight um, with Landon. So see you guys next week.